0: Hello, and welcome to What's Next for the EU, the European People's Party Group's new podcast. My name is Georgina Wright, and I'm the head of the Europe programme at the Paris based think tank, Institut Montaigne. The European Union faces many challenges today, from within and outside of its borders, from tackling climate change, supporting European industry, to dealing with competitive neighbours. More than ever before, people are divided over the EU, its purpose, and what role it should play. That's exactly why the European Union has launched a new conference on the future of Europe, an initiative that is designed to ask EU citizens what they want and expect from the EU. So what do EU citizens want? So over the next weeks, I will be asking my guests what they think the future holds for the European Union, in this week's episode, we'll be turning to EU enlargement, often considered the EU's most powerful foreign policy tool. But is it the right time for the EU to welcome new member states? Joining me today is Carlo Ressler, Croatian politician, former advisor and member of the European Parliament since 2019, and my friend Joanna Hoser, Deputy Director of the Wider Europe Programme at the European Council on Foreign Relations, a European think tank. Hello to you both. Hello. Hello. So the EU has grown several times since creation, starting with Denmark, the UK and Ireland, joining in 1973, all the way to Bulgaria and Romania, joining in 2007, and last but not least, of course, Croatia, joining in 2013. So Carlo, perhaps I could start with you. You became a member of the European Parliament in 2019, six years after Croatia joined the EU. How did you feel when Croatia actually joined the EU? Can you talk a bit about your personal impression of that time?
1: So uh, at at that time, basically, I was uh, still a student and um, I was doing my uh, exchange year in in the UK, which was then uh, still a member of the European Union. And it was uh, through the Erasmus program. So Uh, It really helped me to uh, enter into that uh, European story, even before we entered. But uh, basically I was proud. Uh, I was proud because, uh, as most of the Croats at that time, because we felt part of Europe even before, uh, because of all the cultural, historical ties um, of that uh, membership to the European civilization and civilizational circle. But it was also at that time something very new. Uh, For me, I also felt that this is the opening of of a new chapter, especially because it was uh, not so long after uh, our fight and battle for independence and also after the homeland war in the 1990s.
0: Yeah, so a lot of change happening in, in sort of a short space of time. Joanna, you and I have talked about Poland's accession to the EU and, and the other countries as well. Can you tell us a little bit as well about what you can remember from that 2004 Big Bang enlargement? Mm-hmm.
2: I remember a lot of excitement uh, in the referendum uh, in 2003. Uh, 77% of Poles voted in favour of joining the EU. So there was, there was a massive uh, support for the for the, um for the event and it was felt like a really historic moment and the reform effort that preceded uh, preceded joining was enormous people were keen to keep up that effort and become part of europe it was really felt as this you know moment of coming back to europe after being basically um in one way or another under russia's control for uh, uh, for for a very long time And um, so joining NATO and then the EU was seen as as the best way to achieve independence from Russia and to also reform and to develop. But I also remember a discussion about Polish identity and whether it would disappear or whether joining the EU meant another way of losing some of of the country's independence. The echo of that we can see now uh, in the policies of current government. And then I also remember a lot of people leaving Poland, myself included. Uh, suddenly there was this great opportunity to go and work abroad without, a major, without major administrative obstacles or to study abroad. And a lot of my friends went abroad. Uh, it felt quite, like quite an exodus, to be honest, uh, with both positive and negative consequences for the country.
0: Yeah. yeah. You, you've both sort of touched on, on kind of your personal experiences of, of witnessing enlargement, living through it, and you know what it meant for you and, and the many citizens at the time. And you talk about excitement, but you also, Joanna, touched a little bit on sort of maybe the unintended consequences, so exodus of people um, and also this question of, of independence. So I guess as we're thinking about the future of Europe, Carlo, do you think the EU is ready to enlarge further?
1: Well, I think that the better question is whether the uh, the, the countries that are have the aspiration to join uh, are ready to enter the club. Uh, whether they are ready to really fulfill the high standards in, in all the areas um, of the negotiations, but especially in the area of uh, rule of law and the democracy fundamental rights. So for me, that's the, the most uh, important uh, issue, that's the most important question. But on the other side, it is uh, quite obvious that it is um, important that the EU is ready to uh, to admit uh, new member states. And uh, this is something that is important. And uh, I think that we will never be perfectly ready. So um, even for, for Croatia, for Romania, Bulgaria, for all the other countries that joined recently, uh, I don't really think that there is a really a perfect timing in terms of the like uh, geopolitical, global or European situation. So in that sense, I would uh, say that the right question and the most important one is whether the uh, those countries who have the ambition to join the club are ready to do so
0: exactly and and i think it's important you're right to think there is perhaps no opportune time but you need to be ready and in those conditions to be able to join so that once you are in the club you can fully enjoy and, and participate in the eu and, and make sure that your contribution as well is is helping the EU to think bigger and better about its future as well joanna you know you've been listening to this um The EU has obviously made some changes to its enlargement policy. So now it's not only EU governments and the European Parliament that must agree to future member states, but it's also national parliaments. That's really a lot of people to please. How do you think European citizens, though, feel about enlargement now?
2: I think there is a lot of scepticism. And the scepticism is not maybe um, so much about the countries that would be joining uh, or not, but about uh, EU's capacity to to absorb them. Uh, what Carlos said is, of course, uh, very much uh, true and excellent point that the countries have to be ready, but the EU has to be ready and the people have to be ready. And we often talk about the democratic deficit in the EU. And uh, you know, consulting European Member States parliaments about enlargement is one of the ways to address the democratic deficit. And I think that is very important. And um, in some countries we see uh, the skepticism is very high, one case in point is France, where about 60% of people are against enlargement now. Uh, but as I said, it's uh, it's not so much about uh, being against Western Balkan countries, per se, uh, joining the EU. Uh, from what I understood uh, from various uh, opinion polls, it's more about um, EU's capacity. So. EU, in the recent uh, couple of decades, has been going from one crisis to another. And now I think there is this feeling that the EU needs a respite, needs to calm down and regroup or else it will be overwhelmed. And, uh, and, you know, it can collapse itself and uh, it it has to be in good health before it can admit more members. And uh, I think this feeling has been uh, strengthened by Brexit as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I I was reading a very interesting um, piece by Clément Bourne, who is France's Secretary of State for European Affairs. And he wrote sort of France's vision for the EU. And he says very explicitly there, you know, the EU, France is open to the EU enlarging, but it first needs to get its own house in order. Um, And actually, enlargement, the second condition he says is that enlargement ends. Uh, at the western balkans you know Carlo, do you agree because you obviously represent uh, a lot of eu citizens um you know croatia's a, f- a fairly new um, member state um and would you agree do, do you think that european citizens are, are thinking not right now we need to we need to deal with what we're already dealing with and then we can consider perhaps welcoming other countries
1: I can certainly feel it, especially in some member states. Uh, I wouldn't say that's the um, exact uh, overarching uh, feeling and atmosphere in, in Croatia or in those countries who are closer, especially to the Western Balkans, to the Southeast Europe, who understand uh, how uh, important and significant this region is uh, for the security and for the future, not only of the neighboring countries, but also for the, for the EU as a whole. Uh, So I think this is something that really uh, has to be taken into account. I understand also uh, that feeling in some other member states, but as I said earlier, I don't think that there will ever be um, a perfect timing in which we will be uh, fully integrated, in which our house will be in, in perfect order and in which we will be able to go to the some kind of a second stage and to the uh, further enlargement. So I would say that it's really important to to have these uh, two processes uh, going in parallel mm-hmm. but uh, being really uh, cautious and being really focused that all those uh, countries that wish to join really respect all the high standards that for instance my country Croatia has also uh, needed to uh, go through
0: yeah so a candidate country's ability to reform and then the EU's capacity to absorb seem to be the two sort of main issues but you know some some do say that Europe is simply too large and actually would become paralyzed if you if you had other countries join. And that maybe before enlarging, we've, we should think about treaty change. So, I'm thinking here particularly about the unanimity decision, for example, in the council uh, required for foreign policy decisions. Or perhaps, you know, maybe we should give the European Parliament a greater role as well. Joanna, perhaps I can and start with you. Do you think the current treaties would need to adapt before we consider enlarging further?
2: I think... That might be a good step. Uh, unanimity is becoming very difficult to manage and uh, will become even more so with a bigger number of members. So, before the EU enlarges further, that might be uh, actually the last moment to uh, adapt, uh, adapt the treaties uh, because, itself, like adapting the treaties becomes the more difficult with the increasing number of members. Um, but also, you know, in not just about unanimity. But, for example, the fact that we, we have one EU commissioner from each EU member states, that's a huge puzzle and a complica- complicated political game that would be even more complicated with uh, additional members. Um, so a lot of issues, I think, would need to be simplified and made also more transparent. The processes uh, could be made more transparent so that EU citizens have a better overall understanding of the system.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, the, the conference on the future of Europe is, is partly designed to that—to you know, hear from citizens, but also to bring the EU closer to home. But but, Carlo, you were smiling when Joanna was talking. Do, do you agree? Do you think the treaties need to be reformed? What about the role of the European Parliament? It no, be- I,
1: I, think, I think that really we now have the, the conference on the future of Europe, which uh, should at least provide some uh, guidance on this. There are obviously many different uh, ways in which it is possible uh, to to try to adjust to the really complex um, system within the European Union. But I think that uh, what we should even focus even more is to really understand that when we look at the outside, when we look at the other global actors, I don't see uh, Europe as as too big. Sometimes, uh, on the contrary, I think that we should uh, definitely be be stronger, uh, more efficient, of course, I agree. But um, still, I think that we are in that phase where it is important to to understand uh, the needs of different uh, member states, to understand their different uh, perspectives and to try to include them in the Overall, uh, general position of the European Union. I think that's uh, that, that's uh, as a principle that that's good. That it's a good concept, but obviously now in the new times, it is uh, really uh, crucial to to adjust and to be uh, swifter and to be uh, more efficient.
0: Yeah, and obviously accountability being being a big one as well, which I'm sure we'll, we will see come out in the conference. Future of Europe, Colin. I can stick with you. You know, you said obviously different member states bring different views and perspectives. We need to be able to listen to each other, and we can build that. That's part of the EU's strength. But should the EU nonetheless have clear borders? You know, when where does enlargement stop?
1: I I think that it already does uh, because uh, the treaties are quite uh, clear on this, and they. Uh, envisage that any European country uh, can apply for membership uh, on the condition that it respects uh, the European democratic values and is also committed uh, in, in promoting it. Uh, Europe geographically uh, has its borders. There may be uh, sometimes uh, debated. Uh, I even heard once that uh, in Japan they had a conference um, about uh, deciding uh, whether it would be a good thing, I mean, theoretically, academically, to, to apply for the membership. I know that we have um, all those discussions about the borders for the for the Euros, uh, for the Eurosong, And uh, we see that uh, the borders are sometimes uh, fluid, but I really think that um, we should uh, focus on on the real uh, European uh, countries that are here. But um, as I said, in this uh, provision of the treaty, it's not only important that the country is is geographically European, which is important, obviously, also, but even more important that they are respecting um, democratic values. And you have to prove that through the really complex... Uh, negotiations with the EU uh, and which in the end really leads to a deep transformation of your society, of your legal system, of economy. And that's something that uh, that happened in in Croatia. And that's also one of the reasons why we often think about the enlargement policy as one of the most uh, successful uh, tools and policies of the EU.
0: So, Johnny you've been listening to all of that and You've written a lot about how the EU can improve the way it cooperates with neighbouring countries. How should the EU do this, in your view? Mm -hmm. I
2: think that the EU should have more reflex of thinking of its neighbours in all of its policies. Uh, For example, on vaccines, it should have been much quicker in reaching out to its neighbours with offers to help with a plan how to manage this together. So we need a sort of um, neighborhood mainstreaming where in each policy, the EU asks itself, how can I involve the neighboring countries here? And uh, this invo- includes uh, matters of security, for example, as well, where the EU doesn't cooperate uh, enough with its neighbors. Um, and yeah, I think it's important to treat the neighbors more like partners than, than you know, junior uh, cousins that might or might not one way join the club.
0: Great. So lots of thinking there about partners and not junior cousins, and perhaps thinking of ourselves as a, a large, greater family. Right. My last question is going to be this The EU officially launched its conference on the future of Europe on the 9th of May, and it's expected to conclude in the spring of next year. So there are lots of discussions happening inside of the EU, but also in neighbouring countries. So, my last question to you both will be fairly straightforward. If you could describe the future of Europe in one word, what would it be
2: in one word uh,
0: fascinating and why would it, why would you say it's fascinating?
2: I think we can expect more crisis and the role of the European Union will be very important in solving those crises, but also we see backlash with within uh european countries um some of them from the recent like from the big bang uh, enlargement um they they are going against the union and this this fight between brussels and the capitals i think it's it's uh, very worrying uh, but also fascinating and i think we can expect more on that and it will be very uh interesting and i hope inspiring to
1: see how brussels manages those
0: Great. Carlo, what would your word be?
1: If I may just uh, shortly really comment uh, and say that, uh, I mean, I, I largely agree, uh, especially with the part that uh, we will be in a constant uh, need for modifications uh, due to the uh, challenges and crisis that we witness already now. But uh, I agree that uh, there there will be more in the future, especially. Um, I think it's really important to understand that, um, at least from my perspective, it would be really oversimplification to look at uh, those, um, to some tendencies that are maybe not uh, uh, democratic or that are not always respecting the, the rule of law as something that uh, can come only from the uh, newer member states. I think that really, if you look uh, at it a bit mm-hmm. more closer, if you look at the situation in all uh, their member states, uh, in the founders of the EU, you can see uh, quite uh, similar trends that uh, Johanna was referring to uh, in relation to the the Eastern Europe. So I think that uh, this is something that goes uh, deep uh, in our society and I think that there are obviously, and I agree, differences between uh, the the older member states and newer, but I think that um, in essence uh, the the challenges are similar. If I had to um, choose one word, Uh, then it would maybe be change, if it has to be really uh, one word. But uh, I really believe that we will have to be in uh, constant change and uh, trying to really adjust uh, to to our times and to uh, modernise as much as possible uh, together uh, within the EU.
0: Fascinating. Thank you very much. Well, that's all we have time for this week. Thank you so much to my speakers, Carlo and Joanna. And to you all for listening to our second episode in the What's Next for the EU podcast series. Please join me next time when I will be looking back at the EU's handling of the COVID-19 crisis and where I'll be asking my guests about whether they think the EU should become a health union and do more to support their citizens during pandemics. Feel free to share this podcast on your favourite social media platforms and don't forget to tag the EPP using the hashtag at EPP group. We'd love to hear from you too. If you want to get in touch, you can reach the EPP on their website at www.eppgroup.eu or on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Until then, have a wonderful summer.